welcome back to Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Emma. I'm Tash. And I'm Becky. Hello. 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 <laughs> How is everyone? <laughs> <laughs> awkward as ever. Always in the beginning. <laughs> when will this ever not be awkward? Oh, no. Does it ever not get awkward? Podcasters, let us know. Yeah. The intro. Is it always this awkward? Because we've just been talking to each other perfectly fine for the first <laughs> half an hour. Yeah. The minute we press record. I'm like, I don't know these people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that first sort of three or four sentences to get into it, isn't it? And then we're fine. Yeah. And then we're golden, we're golden. We are. are you ladies okay? Yeah, all good, thank you. A little bit cold. God, this weather's turned, hasn't it? Bit, bit nippy, isn't Blimey. it? Blimey. <laughs> <laughs> I went out to <laughs> Honestly, oh, I went out without a coat on today and I regretted that life choice. Yeah, we've had the fire on. Yeah. Cats are in heaven. Oh, just yeah. flailing about, warm. My kids asked for the heating on, but I refused because uh, one, it's expensive and two, it's still only September. So It's sad that it's only September and we're like, it's fucking freezing. Yeah. No, I just uh, shout to the children, I put a jumper on. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky enough to have hand-knitted socks for winter by my awesome grandma. So uh, I just go and slide those bad boys on and sit <laughs> with a, a random duvet and then at least one jumper on. So, uh, I mean, our house is covered at all times in fluffy blankets. Yeah. I collect fluffy blankets. If they're soft and fluffy, I want it. Same. I've got so many blankets. Mm. I mean, everyone's always got a blanket and fluffy socks, man. You can't beat them. Mm. I agree. And I will undoubtedly buy at least three blankets this winter as well. I was going to say you don't like the fluffy socks, did you? We've already had this conversation. No, I don't like colourful socks. The fluffy are fine. I just don't like the colourful ones. Oh, you'd hate mine. They've got monster faces and ears on and everything. Oh, that makes it really <laughs> funny. I've got some Christmas socks that are, are pugs and it says Merry Pugmas. Oh, no. I can't do a novelty sock either. <laughs> Oh, I thought you'd have at least at least a couple of novelty socks. No. Or some Batman socks or something. Absolutely not. I've branched out and I have got on right now like a taupe coloured sock. Oh, she's going crazy. Taupe? Yeah, but it's... Fucking hell, man. Calm down. <laughs> taupe? Jesus. Emma, call the police. <laughs> I'm actually just <laughs> It's taupe, Becky, it's taupe What the fuck's happening? I've um, actually, Tash, I've actually just looked down and realised I have a hole in my sock Or how do you feel about that? <laughs> and it's really randomly, you know where like your ankle bone sticks out at the side It's there, how did I get a hole there? <laughs> have you just got a really pointy ankle? Obviously <laughs> <laughs> A witch's foot <laughs> Um. So the only reason I'm getting away with wearing these socks is because um, I'm wearing shorts, so I can't see the contrast of the short next to the sock. Ah. Okay. But also, <laughs> we've just been saying how fucking freezing it is. Why are you wearing shorts? So she can complain about it's being cold. <laughs> well, no, okay. I've got a blanket on me. I'm actually lying. I'm actually not even wearing shorts. I'm she just... has no, ne- no bottoms on whatsoever. <laughs> I'm just wearing a really big oversized jumper in my underwear and socks. I don't know why. <laughs> and then outed myself like somebody was going to tell the truth. 
<laughs> like we have a little camera hidden somewhere. And we're actually, what's this? I just, I just couldn't follow through with the lie. They're going to know. I've got to tell them the truth. They're going to know about the shorts. <laughs> well, I know not to rely on you if I ever accidentally murder someone. Uh, we've already discussed that I would not have your back. Excuse me, are those beige socks? And you'd be like, I did it! It was me! <laughs> oh, my days. Um, right, shall we get into things? Yeah. I have three people who gave me a correct answer for uh, song number three, which was Ed Sheeran, The Shape of You. And those three people are Nicole, Stacey, and Sez. So thank you, ladies. Well done. Well done. Did we find out if all koalas have chlamydia? Or did we completely talk at our ass? Gary hasn't got back to me on that one. I don't know if Gary's listened yet. It was only posted this morning. Give him a minute. All right, yeah, I suppose. But I have told him that he will need a pen and paper for this episode. Ah, but then again, is Gary currently in Australia? I think Gary might actually be Australian. Yeah, but it depends if he's currently there because are they forward? So he's had more than a day. Oh, no, he hasn't because we still (laughs) only put it... (laughs) Right. Cringe. Right, I'm just gonna die in my little corner. You guys can carry on for five minutes. <laughs> Becky, you guessed shape of you, didn't you? Yeah. You said you knew what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, I guessed them all right so far. It was just the yellow submarine the one that I wasn't sure about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty obscure. Do you want to do the little correction that we keep forgetting to do? We got an email or a message. I can't remember how we got this piece of information, but it was from Joey from Please Don't Follow Us Home. And she actually knew why Tin Alley was called Tin Alley. So we spoke about Tin Alley on the Denmark Place Fire episode. And we were like, oh, it's an instrument or something. Maybe that's why. Oh, it's Tin Pan Alley. That's what it's called, isn't it? Tin Pan Alley. Yeah. And me and Tash were like, oh, it's because it's an instrument. That's not actually why it's called Tin Pan Alley. It is called Tin Pan Alley because there were so many musicians composing all their own music that they actually paid little kids to sit in front of the shops banging on tin pans so that other musicians couldn't steal their music. So that's where it got its name. So thanks for that piece of information, Joey. I just wanted to clarify that we had, in fact, got that very, very wrong. And that explanation makes more sense. Yes. Clears things up. It does. All cleared up. Yeah. Becky, are you ready for some murder? Are you ready for some murder is the question. Really? Well, I've just finished the um, Jeff Dahmer series on Netflix. I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but... I've got to say, please don't. I'm only like one episode in or two. I'm trying to spread it out and enjoy myself. <laughs> that makes you sound <laughs> very weird. <laughs> spread out. And oh my God, please cut that out. That sounded awful. <laughs> That's two cringy things. That made you sound way weirder than you actually are. (laughs) God, I come across as awful on here. I swear I'm not this weird. (laughs) (laughs) She's not. She's not a psycho, honest. 
But uh, no, I finished it and I don't know if I'll ever be ready for any murder ever again after watching that, to be perfectly frank. But we've got to do what we've got to do. We have. So, are you ready to give us some murder? I am ready. Okay. Shall I just get comfortable? (laughs) Do you know what I keep seeing that makes me feel so uncomfortable on like Instagram and TikTok? What? This is weird, right? (laughs) Okay. Is like oversized pasta. Pardon? Yeah, I know, right? So, you know, like... Did you say oversized pasta? Yeah. What, like big spaghetti? Yeah, but like... The big loopy tube things. Those things. How big we talking? Like still edible, but... You know, like the twirly pasta, the twizzly one? Yeah. But like in jumbo size. So instead of having like... You might just have like four or five strands of that on your plate, like pieces of that on your plate. And it just makes me feel so uneasy. I mean, firstly, I had no idea that was a thing. And secondly, that's a weird thing to be uncomfortable about. I know. And there's this other pasta that I've seen. Fucking pasta. (laughs) It's not massive, but it's got a (laughs) hole through it. (laughs) Jesus Christ. What the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> Honestly. Oh, why, why does it make you feel uncomfortable? Because it just looks a bit too... I don't know. Like a choking hazard or... Is it just because it's big and it shouldn't be big? I think, yeah, it just, you know, it makes you feel uneasy. You know, like when people do nails on a chalkboard, it's that kind of like sensation that it gives me when I see it. God, you're a strange <laughs> one. <laughs> Couple that with socks and it is not a great day for me. <laughs> You know, if I was one of the characters in It, I would have the weirdest fears ever. <laughs> Just turn into a to a colourful sock with a pasta hand. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck, Dad? I know, it's weird, isn't it? But it really oh. makes me feel uncomfortable. And the more I talk about it, the worse it makes me feel. So can we move on? <laughs> the type of pasta I will never eat is a, <laughs> that willy pasta. You know, you get pasta shaped as a willy. I have eaten that pasta and it actually tastes fine. <laughs> I'm sure it does, but just the idea of it just makes me feel sick. Okay, well, more for me. <laughs> so I'll eat the giant pasta. You can eat the dick pasta. Thanks. I appreciate you. I've had dick pasta before and they taste really flowery. Oh. Yeah. Why? I think it's because it's just... It must be really cheaply made just to be like, oh, here's a pasta in the shape of a dick. Yeah. Also, on what occasion have you both had dick pasta? Um, I think it must have been a present after some sort of party yeah. or something. And then that's the only pasta that's been in the cupboard, so... Yeah. You know when you get to the point where you, you have a meal with all different types and shapes of pasta because they're all just at the end of the packet, so you just mix them all together? Yeah, I would never do that. It, I don't. I mean, I wasn't proud of myself. How do you gauge the time to cook it as well? Because they all cook at different. Oh, it's usually um all the same ish times. It's not like three minute pasta mixed with nine minute pasta. We're not savages, Tash. Fucking um, hell, mixed pastas, but <laughs> and you wear weird socks, but <laughs> hand knitted, <laughs> made with love, right. Are you ready for some murder? Yup. Right. I was going to say dying for it, but that was probably a very poor-tasted pun. Yeah. And a bit over the top. Don't die. 
Oh, you know, I'm dying for it. Oh, yeah. <sighs> right. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't even a laugh there. It was just a lone snort. Yeah. There's a few of those. Always, always bashing around. Right, so this one, I have a feeling that I say this nearly every single time I do a story, but it's a little bit different. This story, it's in the old US of A. This uh, one is about a woman called Lydia Sherman. And uh, it's a little bit different because it's based in the Victorian era, so the 19th century. Mm. And the fact that it's in the Victorian era has nothing to do with this story because it's based in America. (laughs) And America had been independent for over 50 years at that point. Yeah, but was it not called the Victorian era for them? Well, no, because they weren't under Queen Victoria, were they? That's mad. I mean, I literally just made that up. That could be entirely false. But. No, I think that's right. It's uh, it's for the... I mean, in France, they don't call it the Victorian era, do they? No, they don't. Yeah. I don't think so. So, bonus points. What year was treason day? I mean, Independence Day. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 4th of July, but I don't Four. know what year. It's 1776. It was the year. Yeah, I wouldn't have got that. Yeah. So this is, yeah, at least 50, 60 years later. Our murderer was born Lydia Danbury. And she was born on Christmas Eve, 1824, in Burlington, New Jersey. A year after her birth, her mother died. She went to live with her brother in New Brunswick. She was slim, pretty, with blue eyes, dark hair, and porcelain skin. So I was getting Snow White vibes from that description. Mm Mm-hmm. At the age of 18, she attended a Methodist dinner and met a man called Edward Struck, a widowed blacksmith with six children. Bloody hell. So, 18-year-old Lydia thought, oh yeah, yes please. So. I'll have a bit of him. Yeah. The seed is strong with this one. Yeah. Mm. Blacksmith, though. I can only imagine him being fit. Yeah, me too. Well, that's what they said about Edward Shoe, innit? He was a blacksmith that all the girls wanted, but he turned out to be a murdering piece of shit, so. Yeah. And I always think about Gaston, and Gaston wasn't a blacksmith. He was not. So I've no idea, but my brain always makes that connection. (laughs) It's a strange place. (laughs) Your brain. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's the best way to be. Mm, It is. Edward, being a 19th century bloke, was very, very forward and asked Lydia to marry him very shortly after meeting. And she said yes. Listen, that pisses me off. I can barely get a second date and she's getting a proposal three dates in. Yeah, but she's also inheriting six children. Maybe that's where I'm going wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And also, I've got to kind of go with Elsa on this one. You can't marry a man you barely know. You can't marry a man you've just met. Okay, okay, okay. Just ask Elsa, yeah, she, she knows. knows. She don't need no man. So she said yes to that offer. She was in. So they set up their family home in New York City, and they had eight children of their own altogether. Hold on. They had eight all together, or they had eight plus the original six? Eight plus the original six of so 14 little humans what running around. Laugh? Mate, I'm out. Please don't. Nobody proposed to me three dates in. Yeah. Do you know what? That makes me uncomfortable. What? The idea of living in the same house as 14 kids. And also, there was no hoovers back then. Oh and like, God. no Febreze. How sh- how smelly would that house be? You know what kids nope. are like. Bloody things. Don't like it. So, with such a huge family to support, 
Edward thought to himself, hey, I need more money because I've multiplied many times. So he got a job as a New York City police officer and everything went well for a few years. And then one day there was a hotel robbery in Manhattan and Edward was called to the scene. But witnesses would later say that he did not go in straight away and said waited around outside. And then another police officer arrived on scene and went into the hotel and was killed by the robbers. Oh, no. Yeah, Edward was charged with cowardice and lost his job. But I kind of see this in the fact that Edward was like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't run into a hotel full of robbers and they're probably... Guns. Go have guns and shit. This is America. Everyone has a gun. Maybe I should wait outside for backup. And then the other guy is like, oh, let's go inside. So I don't really know what happened. I don't know whether he really was just hiding outside. But what year was this? 18 something. So like now you wouldn't be able to enter a scene like that, would you? Obviously it's very different. No. Yeah. No, it's quite quite an old story. That's why it's a little bit different this time. Obviously no DNA (laughs) or anything like that is going to go on here. So, yeah, Edward uh, lost his job, and because of this, he sank into a deep depression, refusing to leave the apartment or even his bed in the end. Shit. One of their daughters, who was then two, contracted the measles and passed away. Oh, man. Mm. I suppose, though, back then, one out of 14 isn't too bad. (laughs) That sounds awful, but do you know what I mean? Because everyone died all the time, especially children. Yeah, well, they didn't have the vaccines and stuff, did they? No. And, well, loads of things like clean drinking water. People were just a little bit more mankier, weren't they, about there? And there was a civil war eventually, weren't there, around about that time in America? Possibly. Lydia got fed up of his shit and decided to put him out of his misery. Oh, yeah, Lydia. So she kind of went from happy housewoman to... Uh, Actually, you're annoying me now. I'm going to kill you. That's not okay. No. He's just a bit depressed, man. I know. Should be supportive. But we don't know what was going on, really. And I don't know if losing her daughter kind of sent her off. Yeah. Maybe she went spiralling over grief, which is totally understandable. But still, Mm. let's not kill our husbands. No. So one day she potters down to the local drugstore to buy some arsenic, which was easy to obtain at the time, as it was uh, great for killing rats. That would be my weapon of choice as well. A good old poison. Yeah. Woman's weapon of choice. So she stirred a thimbleful into Edward's oatmeal, though a few grains of it would be enough to kill a man. So he was done for the minute that he ate that. After eating... Edward's throat started tingling, then it started burning, then excruciating abdominal pains and diarrhea, then convulsions. Diarrhea. I I was singing that in my head when I was (laughs) writing this out. (laughs) After all that, after several agonizing hours, he died. Yeah, it's not a good way to go, arsenic poisoning, is it? No. No, it doesn't sound nice, does it? No. Just diarrhea and then convulsions and then... Yeah. Painful. No. Edward was no more. As the Civil War raged, so there was a Civil War, 
Lydia created carnage in her own household without any means of support and young children to feed. Lydia decided that her youngest three children, which was Martha Anne, six, Edward Jr., four, and William, only nine months, could do nothing to help her. And so she decided to put them all out of their misery the same way that she disposed of their father. What the fuck? She didn't. Yeah. Less than six weeks after killing Edward, Lydia poisoned her three children. Youngest children. Lydia, this is not okay, ma'am. No. Three of her oldest children stayed alive. So were they, like, aware that she was doing this? No. What, what did they think was happening? Well, it was back then that you could just die. He just died. So whatever he had, the kids got. I don't know. Oh, I guess, yeah, that makes sense. You can get the flu, though, and be like, oh, well, we can't do anything. He might die, might not. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So three of her older children stayed alive. Lydia saw them as useful because they were able to work and bring money into the home. Well, only three survived? Of her children. Of her children, okay. Yeah. Hang on, but she had eight, right? I don't think she kept the other ones afterwards. I think she shipped them off somewhere else. So what? Yeah, but one died. Then she's killed three, so she should have had four left alive. There's one missing, Bex. Is that? Hold on. <laughs> well, one went missing. <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe that one was just living its life. Well, yeah, she had eight children. That one, one, two, three, one, two, three. One died. Yeah, there's one missing. One was a ghost. (laughs) Uh, I'll try and find it later, unless it comes out a bit later. So her son, George, was 14 at the time, and he had a job as a painter. But back then, uh, people just loved putting lead in everything, So and especially in paint. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. So he was in contact with the paint every day, and because back then he didn't necessarily wash your hands all the time, so he was constantly eating it, and uh, it, I don't know if it can get absorbed through your skin, can lead? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And do you know why, just a little tidbit at the side, why lead's so dangerous for children and like older people nowadays? No. Because, especially in pain, because it tastes sweet. So... Children oh. will eat it thinking it's, well, they won't know it's any, there's anything wrong with it. And people that might be a bit old and infirm and be kind of losing their marbles a bit might just eat it. What, like licking paint and stuff? Yeah, licking paint or like, you know, when, when paint kind of peels. Oh, and eating, not eating, the eating the peelings, yeah. If it tastes that's sweet, that they'll, they, they keep eating it. So, yeah, that's why nowadays it's still very dangerous to have lead paint in your house. So yeah, because he was in contact with lead every day, he started showing symptoms of lead poisoning and he got so sick that he couldn't get out of bed eventually. And now he, that he was a burden, his mother... Yeah, she's going to do it, isn't she? Yeah. His mother gave him arsenic in his tea. What a bitch. Uh-huh. Yeah, she's not very nice. No. Lydia's 12-year-old daughter, Anne Eliza, was the next to go as she didn't have a job. And had always been sickly. John, 16, had moved out of the house, which probably saved his life. Oh, here we are. And then 18-year-old Lydia was the last child living at home. So there was four then. Yeah, we found them all. Yeah, there we are. Found the one that's lost. I think it was the one that left home that I left out. Okay. 18-year-old Lydia was the last child living at home, had a job as a retail clerk. 
But then okay. she fell ill and had to stay home in bed. And then soon her mother got rid of her as well, the same way as she did the others. Jesus, how many kids are left? Well, her stepchildren, it doesn't, I couldn't find much on that. So I think she shipped them off. Oh, no, they were older. They were already left. Oh, okay. I was thinking, where are all these children gone? But yeah, they would have already left. Okay, I'm with you. They leave home, really. Left, they all left home pretty quick. Yeah, good bloody job. Yeah. yeah. By the end of the Civil War, Lydia's stepson, Cornelius Struck, and I fucking love the name Cornelius. Very posh. Very good. Cornelius. Although, wouldn't his nickname be like Corny? I love corn. (laughs) (laughs) He's got the juice. So Cornelius grew suspicious of Lydia and shared his concerns with the district attorney. DA promised an investigation, but nothing happened. (gasps) Shocker, the police didn't do their job. Oh, no. Even back then they didn't do it. (laughs) So Lydia got a job selling sewing machines in New York City. And she met a man called John Curtis. Run, John. Run far, run fast. Yeah. Yeah. Run, run as fast as you can. Mm Mm-hmm. John Curtis was a customer of Lydia's that was impressed with her nursing experience that she had earlier in life. Mm, Impressive. Nursing experience. Just what I want. Yes. So he was like, hmm, you know what I have? I have an elderly mother. That needs Ah. caring for. In 1867, he hired her to take care of his elderly mother in Stratford Con. Oh, I thought he needed like her CV to propose, but no, it was to actually hire her, which is fair enough, John. Yeah, but you're also putting a murderer in charge of your elderly, vulnerable mother. He didn't know, Bex. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, hmm. She looks like Snow White. How could he have known? Well, no, he didn't know. But I'm just uh, just judging everyone. Well, I mean, you know and you're judging. Would you ask a sewing machine saleswoman to ask and get to care for your elderly mother? Just... She's got nursing experience. Has she, though? Did he check? Well, she says she has. Look. Oh, well, obviously she has, then. Carl's a fucking doctor. <laughs> Oh, Carl. I think we will always, <laughs> always reference him. I'm going to make it my mission to reference him in every single fucking episode. When we eventually go big and millions of people listen to this every episode and they start doing drinking games, if we mention Carl, that's the one we have to down you drink fully, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's lots of other references. If A giggle snort is at least two gulps of the drink. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, an incorrect correction is a definitely a down all your glass. <laughs> what about mispronounced words? Oh, well, that's every two seconds, so. <laughs> that would just kill somebody, wouldn't it? <laughs> People would be in hospital and we'd be liable for it, so. But what about us saying words are hard? Yeah, that's definitely a drink. So back to the story, anyway. <laughs> so after eight months with the old lady... She encountered a rich widower named Dennis Hurlbert. So she met him in the local grocery store when he was munching about. And Dennis was many, many years her senior. And obviously she married him. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
She was careful, however, not to raise suspicion of a young wife who married an old man. She was trying not to come across as too much of a gold digger. So publicly, she absolutely doted on him. That's what all gold diggers do, though, right? Yeah. She's like, oh, ruffling his hair and being all the doting, beautiful <laughs> wife. <laughs> yeah. I bet he's still got some on there. Yeah, but is that what we do when we dote on someone? Literally never ruffled anybody's hair in my life. Isn't that what you do to a small child? I don't know why I said that. I've never ruffled anyone's hair. Uh, you clearly have. Noel has got all the ruffling. I put my fingers through Noel's hair. He's got such thick hair. He should be on, like, head and shoulders. Yeah. Head and shoulders, if you want to... You know, contact us. He's got a good head of her. After the marriage, Dennis altered his will, leaving everything to his new bride. Oh, fuck, Dennis. And then soon after that, Dennis became ill. Who no! <laughs> <laughs> I did not see that one coming. <laughs> Shocker, isn't it? Twists and turns, this story. Although doctors came to help Paul Dennis, Dennis died after receiving a large dose of arsenic in his clam chowder. Now, who did that? Mm. Well, it was his wife, Lydia. How many has she got under her belt now? She's killed six children and now two husbands, so eight. Fucking hell, Lydia. It's not a fucking competition, man. Jesus Christ. No, she's just uh, living her best life. Listen, Dennis died. And he left Lydia $20,000 worth of real estate and $10,000 in cash. So I had a look at this on Cash Converter. And (laughs) $10,000 in cash is about, I think it was $360,000 in now money. So that's quite a decent sum. Yeah, she's got a chunk there. nearly $700,000 worth of real estate. I don't feel like that's killing worthy amount of money. Listen, maybe she just got sick and tired of doing so much fucking ruffling. <laughs> yeah. Her hands were calloused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had no hair in the end. Eight weeks later, Lydia applied to be a housekeeper for a Derby resident named Horatio N. Sherman. Yeah. A recent widower, again. Horatio is a pretty fucking awesome name as well. It is a pretty good. And Horatio N. Sherman is just, he should have been an author. Yeah. I would have read many books by Horatio N. Sherman. So he was also a recent widower, like her first husband. They married within a few months and she moved to Derby. So I'm just throwing all these places at you, but God knows where they are. It's fine. Yeah. We don't know. No. We weren't there. So anyway, Horatio was unaware of his new wife's murderous tendencies. Well, I'm not surprised he's unaware of it. It's not really something you publicise, is it? Mm. Or you marry. Yeah. Mm. And Horatio, because he's not long lost his wife, was pretty into the old drink. Slurpy, slurpy, drink, drink. (laughs) And uh, he uh, (laughs) drank nearly every day. Or he drank every day. He was a drunk, basically, and spent... Lydia's money. So I don't know how she's going to feel about that, do you? I don't think she's going to be very happy about it. Also, I'm confused. Wasn't she the housekeeper? She was his housekeeper and then they married. Oh, sorry. I missed that part of the marrying. Yeah. So she keeps basically marrying all of her bosses. 
She didn't marry the elderly woman's son. I think she was all right. She didn't get murdered, so... I think she would have done, though, if she hadn't met uh, old Dennis. Yeah, I think Dennis probably saved them from her. Yeah. Mm. Poor Dennis. Yeah. He's ruffled up hair. All over ruffled and poisoned. <laughs> Every day I'm ruffling. <laughs> <laughs> Horatio was uh, getting drunk every day. And one day, whilst very drunk, he ranted to Lydia that he wished his sickly infant son, Frankie, would die to end his suffering. Oh, oh God, don't tell her that. Yeah, so she took the hint, basically, and mixed a little arsenic into his milk. Oh, my God. He died quickly. The next month, her 14-year-old stepdaughter, Ada, came down with the flu and then soon died afterwards, also poisoned. What? So she's just like, oh, you're fucked. Here, have a bit of poison. Yeah, have a bit of the old arsenic. So I don't know whether the flu was actually arsenic poisoning and then she just finished her off or whether she did actually have the flu and she just decided to get rid of her. So the death of his beloved daughter caused Horatio to go on an absolute bender and he came home and basically pissed himself and fell asleep. Lydia decided to take advantage of her husband's partialness to the old liquor and started spiking it with more arsenic. I'm seeing a theme. Yeah. So when he became ill, a doctor was called. When Dr. J.C. Beardsley came to treat Horatio, he grew suspicious of the strange symptoms that he was presenting and Horatio ended up dying as well. I mean, it's quite suspicious that him, his son, and his daughter have all died. Yeah. And then she's inherited everything all over again. Another house. I mean, to be fair, he did spend all her money on booze, so... Yeah, he spent some of it. I think she got rid of him before. I think if he didn't do that, she might have kept him around a little bit longer. Do you think? I don't know. I feel like she's quite intolerant. Yeah. So Lydia said that he died because of the drink and sorrow from losing his wife and two children in such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. It was all just so tragic. I mean, that's totally something that somebody would put as a cause of death on a death certificate back then. Yeah. Died of sorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, broken heart syndrome is a thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm just saying back in the day... They would put weird shit down for causes of death all the time. Mm. Well, often back then as well, a symptom was a cause of death. Like died from fever. That's what they'd put it down as. Yeah. But it's really a symptom of something else. So the doctor asked Lydia if it would be all right if he could order a post-mortem done on Horatio to see if there was anything else wrong. I don't think she really knew what that meant. And she agreed. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm surprised she said yes to that. So Beardsley sent Horatio's organs off to Yale for analysis. And sure enough, Yale professor George Frederick Barker found large quantities of arsenic in Horatio's body. So the police were like, hmm, that's a bit weird. So they ordered for Frankie and Ada to be exhumed for them to be tested for arsenic as well, and that came back positive. It's not looking good, Lydia. Yeah, they did the same for Dennis, also arsenic. Because if it was just the kids and Horatio, they could have possibly explained it away as, like, contamination. 
but it, yeah. it's also strange that Lydia was not sick. Yeah, and there's no explaining Dennis. Yeah, and then Dennis, uh, that's, it's very strange that he also died from that. Did they check Edward and the other kids? Yeah, this is when they looked back a little bit on Lydia's marital history and found this trail of death. That they had been told about, but decided to ignore. No, she kept moving around, so... Okay, different cops. Different cops. I mean, it's like even in the 80s, 90s, they didn't speak to each other like different police stations. Whereas back then, absolutely they didn't speak to each other. Well, no, no. Mm, I think it was a whole thing with her being a woman as well. Like, oh, women wouldn't do that. So Lydia by then had moved back to New Brunswick to live with what was left of her family. But on June 7th, 1872, police came and arrested her for murder and they took her to New Haven to await trial. Her trial began on the 16th of April, 1872 and lasted eight days. Lydia appeared prim and proper in court wearing a black alpaca dress, a shawl, gloves and a straw hat with a thin (laughs) veil. So she looked awesome. (laughs) But what is a black alpaca dress? Because I'm just kind of thinking of a dressing up as an, as an alpaca. No, alpaca will be like... Um, a woolen dress. The wool, you know, yeah. like cashmere. Yeah. So she was looking fire, really, on her yeah. court day. Yeah, fire emoji, 100%. Mm. So she absolutely claimed her innocence, but the jury was faced with overwhelming evidence. Feeling uncomfortable about sentencing a woman to death, They only convicted her of second-degree murder of Horatio, so it was just for him. Okay. Makes zero sense, but okay. Zero sense, exactly. They didn't like the fact that they were sentencing a woman, and if they'd have put everyone in together, it would have been a death sentence, so they they weren't comfortable with that. Which was a mistake, because five years into her prison sentence in June 1877... She pretended to have a serious illness and escaped from prison under the watch of a, quote, careless matron who was supposed to be watching her. Whoops. She was able to escape. With help of her friends, she made her way over to Rhode Island. How has this lady got friends? I don't know. I've got like five friends and I don't kill people. Yeah. Maybe that's where you're going wrong. Maybe you just need to start. You set up like a fan following. Like fear people into being my friends. Oh, there's always those weird people that write to serial killers in prison. Oh, I see it all the time on TikTok. I'm like, is this a sign? Mm. Should I be writing to men in prison? No, no is the answer to that. Never. (laughs) Please never do that. I just want to shake everyone that does and slap them. Proper backhand slap them. I swear to God, Tasha, I will get on a boat, I will come to the UK, and I shall put fluffy monster socks on your feet if you ever do that. Yeah. (laughs) Whilst feeding you oversized pasta. Yeah. And touching your stuff. Yeah, and when I'm next sat next to you on a sofa, I will take my socks off and accidentally keep touching you with my foot. Barefoot. No, I don't like that either. I know you don't like that. Oh, and Tasha, do you know what else I'll do? I'll blow my nose. Yeah. And I'll do that thing, you know, when you cough, like you cough and it's really phlegmy and then they do that big sniff up and all the phlegm goes into your mouth. I'll keep doing that. Yeah, stop doing it. (laughs) I didn't do it. I just described it. So don't you dare. You know, you know the... The punishment. You know what's going to (laughs) happen. 
will be real and merciless. Some of the prisoners are really fit. No, I don't care. <laughs> don't get taken in by the Muslim tattoos. What if tattoos. it's my soulmate? No. <laughs> <laughs> Think of the socks, Tash. They're coming. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. So anyway, she escaped from prison, made it to Rhode Island, and she ended up blowing her own cover because she went to a hotel and signed in with one name, and then later that day was talking to the owner's wife and said that her name was something else. Idiot! Yeah, so she was like, hmm, this is sketchy. That means this person's pretending to be someone else. Yeah, so she, the police came, realised it was her, sent her back to prison. And Lydia would die on the 16th of May, 1878, from cancer. And no, no one gave her any arsenic to put her out of her misery. Mm. <laughs> and no one probably was there to mourn her because she'd killed them all. Yeah, well, she did have one surviving son, the one that left. Did he mourn her? I don't think he mourned her. I have a funny, sneaky suspicion that he didn't care. Yeah, I really hope that he stayed close to his stepbrothers and sisters that survived. That would have been nice. I think he would have needed it because his mum was a twat. (laughs) Yes, she was. (laughs) Yeah, I just want, I meant to say this at the beginning, I'll just tell you my sources. So most of them was from a website called NewEnglandHistoricalSociety.com. The article was called Lydia Sherman, the Derby Poisoner. And uh, the other one was ConnecticutHistory.org. Well, thanks. And on this one, Wikipedia had like three lines. Wikipedia would no help. So I did not know what I was doing. Well, we're lost when Wikipedia doesn't know. Yeah. Thank you anyway, Wikipedia, for trying. Yeah, good attempt. Meh. There we are. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, thank you. It's very good. And uh, yeah, if everybody got through that story, well done, well done. We're on form tonight, it would appear, in the old interruption. (laughs) (laughs) A load of crap. Are you ready for some spookiness? Yeah, I really am. Yes. This is. Are you, are you sure? Because you sound like you're ready for bed. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's because I've been speaking for all that time, so I just sat back and had a bit of a yawn, but didn't realise I'd have to speak so soon. I will apologise for saying the word poultrygeist about three times last week, so I obviously can't say it right. Poltergeist? It is poltergeist. Poltergeist. And not poultrygeist. Poultry guy. The ghost of the chicken. <laughs> the spooky chicken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the ghost of chicken past. Yeah. Okay, let's get our black monk on. So last week, when we left off, it all kicked off with Philip and his grandma, yeah, while the family were away for a bank holiday, long weekend at the seaside. Yeah, there's dust everywhere, isn't there? Dust everywhere, cupboards are shaking. Puddles of water. Puddles of water, weird slime in the taps, just like horrendous, everything kicked off. And then the parents returned and Joe was like, what do you mean, knocking? And then the ghost went, knock, knock, knock. Yeah. Cooey, only me. (laughs) Just your friendly neighbourhood. Poultry guts. (laughs) (laughs) Here to cluck up your evening. <laughs> and there's a big gust of wind that blew past the family and then that was it. He was gone. And he actually stayed away for two years. Oh. Yeah, he was gone. Philip left school and went to work with his father. Diane was now a pretty young blonde teenager, 
Sarah, who was a grandma, now aged 72, spent a lot of time at number 30 with her family. And then one day, perhaps as August was approaching, it reminded her of the previous terrifying events she had experienced. She started talking about them. She wasn't met with much enthusiasm as Jean and Joe, so Mr and Mrs Pritchard, didn't really want to hear about it. Jean had decided she was going to redecorate Diane's room. So she was taking a tea break. She'd gone downstairs and her mum said, I keep hearing noises. Well, I don't, said Jean. All right, Jean. (laughs) Well, she do not want to know. Well, I don't. Didn't you just hear that? No, replied Jean and went out into the hallway where she stopped and stared. The blanket off her bed was now laying on the floor at the foot of the stairs. Now, she knew it wasn't there before because she'd literally just come downstairs to make tea. She took it back upstairs and then she heard another almighty crash. So she goes to check what the noise is and there's another blanket. This time it was Philip's lying at the foot of the stairs. It had knocked over all the plant pots that were on the staircase and there was soil everywhere. Sorry, but who's decorating the stairs with plants? Jean and Joe Pritchard. Obviously don't have cats. And it's mm. what? Yeah. It's like the 70s now. Also, they I forget they've got older kids and they clearly, like you say, don't have cats. Yes, yeah, exactly. So Sarah, the grandma, at this point, she starts to cry. I told you, she Aww. said, it's back. Ooh, they're back. Is that how she said it? Uh, well, she was crying, so probably not, but that was, that was good. That was a good <laughs> reference. <laughs> that night, Jean could not find sleep. It was too hot. So she got up, and as she stood on the landing, dimly lit by the streetlights, she felt a cool breeze, a feeling she would soon get used to. She could see something moving in the corner of the poorly lit landing. She turned on the light, and as she did, a paintbrush flew right past her head. It was followed by a paste bucket that hit the wall, spilling paste everywhere all over the carpet. She could now see what was moving. It was a roll of wallpaper. It was swaying back and forth, back and forth like a snake. She bravely tried to pick it up, and as she touched it, it went limp in her hands. Always disappointing when that happens. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. I also don't know who it's more embarrassing for. Yeah, I'd take that badly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things that you say, no, it's all right. It happens to everybody. And then you turn over and you think, shit, doesn't he not fancy me? Am I not sexy enough? Have I done something? Uh, Do I not make his wallpaper hard anymore? <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's so disgusting. Honest to God, guys, we don't drink during this podcast at all. <laughs> this is us sober. Yeah. Listen, there was, it would be next level if we were drunk. Like, it, it wouldn't be okay. Oh, I was thinking we'd have to do it once, but you can't drink, can you, at the No, minute? I can't drink oh. at the minute, which is no fun. One day. Do you think you could have drink a load of lemonade and get like a sugar high, like a little child? Maybe like a load of Coca-Cola and get like really buzzed off the caffeine. Buzzed, yeah. And then you just be like, and then in the 1870s. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this is a scary story. The wallpaper's been swaying and then it went limp as soon as she touched it. Then the carpet sweeper flew up into the edge. Remember carpet sweepers? Yeah, they were so fun to use. Well, they had a carpet sweeper. So it flies up in the air. 
They're heavy. Yeah, yeah. And started swinging about as if somebody was swinging it around their head. So Jean, at this point, falls to her knees and crawled back into her bedroom where she finally managed to scream. Joe woke up straight away. What on earth is happening? And both the children appeared in the bedroom doorway and as they did, more paintbrushes began flying at them. One missing Diane's head by an inch and another hitting her on the shoulder. Don't stand there, shouted Joe. Diane said it hadn't hurt, which was surprising as it had flown towards her with such a force that you would have thought it would have really, really hurt. But instead she said it felt just like a tap. They noticed that it had moved into Diane's room and was ripping off the wooden pelmet above the bedroom window. He's having a right paddy, isn't it? It's going mental. Yeah, no, he's having a paddy. He's having a paddy. Mm. He's ripping off this wooden pelmet that's screwed into the wall and then it threw it out of the window. Oh, my God. Yeah, they heard it crash on the pavement below. Now, Joe was fuming. He ran and slammed Diane's door shut and listened as the banging and clattering continued as it was completely wrecking the room, basically. Diane, being extremely stupid or brave, I'm not sure, went to open the door. But her father shouted, don't touch it. And in response, there was a loud thud against the door. You can kind of imagine if you'd shut someone in. And they were really pissed at you how they'd kind of thud against the door. Yeah. That's what they heard. Mm. So that night, the whole family slept in the parents' room. They locked themselves in. Probably a pointless action against a poltergeist, but it gave them peace of mind. The Pritchers soon realised that they did indeed have an unwanted lodger in their home. But they were fiercely going to stand their ground and not be run out by some, well, whatever it was. They called it Mr. Nobody. Which is fucking horrendous. Why would you give it such an awful name? (laughs) Mr. Nobody. Mr. Nobody. (laughs) And then, finally, Jean nicknamed him Fred. Because Fred seems less scary. Yeah, I agree. I prefer Fred. Yeah. And thus, for the next nine months, the Pritchards were going to live alongside Fred as best they could. He was usually quiet during the day and would only start to make himself known when Diane got home from school and at night time, which reinforces the theory that poltergeists feed off the energy of teenagers reaching puberty. Bangs would be heard through the house, ornaments would float around by themselves, the lights would go out, and when they checked the switch under the stairs, sure enough, it was switched to off. After having enough of this crap, Jean taped over the switch in the on position. But this proved useless as the tape was simply removed and Fred got back to playing with the lights. Philip suggested that maybe they could have an exorcism. He probably didn't say it as happily as I just said it. <laughs> maybe we could have an exorcism. Oh, yay, family outing. Yeah. No, it's Friday. <laughs> so Philip suggested that they could have an exorcism. The family agreed it was worth a shot and they got in touch with Reverend Davy. He said he could ask the bishop for permission, but in a lot of cases the exorcism had made things worse, so they should be prepared to be refused. Nonetheless, he agreed to come and have a look to assess the situation. A few days later, he came over one evening. Jean's sister Marie and husband Vic, do you remember them from last week? Marie and Vic? Ah. They live on the same council estate. 
they're, well, Jean's sister, Marie, and her brother-in-law, Vic. They're the ones that took in yeah. Sarah and Philip when it was all kicking off. Yeah, it was all going wrong, yeah. Jean's sister, Marie, and her husband, Vic, came over when the Reverend came to visit. He explained that he'd spoken about their case and that he could not perform an exorcism as this was a poltergeist haunting. And poltergeists only get worse after the church tries to interfere. After an hour or so of him being there, Fred had been on his best behaviour and nothing had happened. Just as the Reverend was getting up to leave, however, loud bangs could be heard and a candlestick fell off the mantelpiece. There, said Jean, you see? The Reverend put it all down to subsidence. So do you know what subsidence is? When the house, like, kind of moves and cracks yeah. and falls off itself. Yeah, exactly. It's like when the, the house is moving into the ground a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Not a good thing. It's not a good thing, and that's what the Reverend thinks is happening, subsidence. Jean felt frustrated. After all, how could subsidence have caused the carpet sweeper to float in the air or the paintbrushes to be thrown? But just as she was getting ready to argue her case, the other candlestick levitated off the mantelpiece and hovered over to the Reverend. So do you think that's subsidence? Jean asked. I bet she was dead smug when she asked that as well. Yeah. Is that subsidence, do you think? <laughs> then followed an almighty crashing from the kitchen. As they rushed in to see what the commotion was, they saw every piece of china, every plate, every cup, splayed all over the floor. And yet, nothing was broken. At that, Reverend Davy said, There's something evil in this house and you should move. Jean was outraged. We should move. I'm not moving because of some ghost, she said. Be very careful then, he replied. This thing could end up hurting you. And then he left. What a helpful guy. Yeah. <laughs> Stellar he is. One night, Diane was on her way up to bed. As she reached the landing, the lights went out. As her father got his torch to go and turn the switch back on, Diane saw a shadowy thing move across the wall. And then she felt the icy cold feeling Fred usually gave off when he was around. She saw the hall stand, a big heavy piece of furniture lift up into the air and come towards her. Oh my God. Along with the sewing machine that was on it. She got pinned to the stairs by the furniture, too panicked to scream. The lights came back on and Diane found her voice and yelled out for help. Her family rushed to her but could not budge the furniture. Then Jean said to Diane to just stay calm and relax. Easier said than done, right? Yeah. But she did and it worked. As Diane relaxed, the furniture became easy to move. Now this again, a bit like the paintbrush incident, looked like she would be seriously hurt. After all, the weight should have crushed her but she walked away without a scratch. The force that had been holding down the stand and sewing machine seemed to relax and stop forcing as soon as Diane relaxed. She was bizarrely not scared of what had just happened, but took it more as proof that the poltergeist would not hurt her. But Fred hadn't finished with her yet. Once she was in bed with the lights out, her bed sheets and duvet got ripped off her bed and landed somewhere in the corner of the room. Her mattress then took off to the ceiling, throwing her on the floor, and then landed on top of her. Oh, my God. <laughs> you enjoyed this, Tash? I just think it's a bit much, isn't it? Oh, you, are, you don't know the half of it yet, babes. 
she got back up and put the bed back together and tried to go back to bed. Oh, fuck off. She just like, oh, night. Hey, you're such a prankster, aren't you, Fred? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So she tries to go back to bed, but the same thing happened again. That night, this mattress throwing shenanigans happened four more times. Each time, Diane ended up on the floor with the mattress on top of her, but she was never physically hurt. I'd have gone downstairs and slept on the sofa. I mean, after the first time, I would have moved house, but, you know, that's just me. (laughs) It wouldn't have even got to that point. (laughs) These guys are determined they are not moving, and they don't at any point. I respect them, but why? I would say this poltergeist is super, super active. Like, normally, they'll have a bit of a rumble, maybe a draw, then maybe a couple of cupboards, and then maybe they'll start levitating bits and bobs. But, like, slowly over a few weeks or months, whereas he's just, like, rampaging through the house and throwing people about and breaking beds. Yeah, well, he is, like, renowned for being the most violent poltergeist in Britain. Well, in the UK and probably Europe, to be fair. Yeah. Do you think, poltergeist, do you think he knows that poltergeist, poultry, I keep saying it wrong. (laughs) Uh, Do you think this sort of thing is, they're doing it on purpose, they are breaking things going around the house or do you think it's one of those ghost things where they do repeat behavior of how they were in life where they just used to maybe have anger issues and go and like destroy the house no i absolutely do not think this has got anything to do with residual energy or a ghost being stuck in a loop i think this is angry a very aware spirit or whatever it is no i do think he he is a very aware entity Mm. whatever he is So the poltergeist seemed to have different moods. Sometimes it was almost playful, whilst others it would throw objects at people. The strange thing about this particular entity is that usually when people report poltergeists, they say they can smell a foul odour like sulphur or rotting flesh. When Fred was about, they could smell a quite nice floral scent like perfume. The banging and knocking was almost constant and so loud people could hear it at the end of the street. The house began to get a reputation as being the haunted house and even the bus driver who drove past the house would announce to his passengers, that's that haunted house. Eventually the papers turned up and started printing stories about Mr Nobody and of course very soon people wanted to come in and experience the ghosts themselves. Kids would ask to camp out on the lawn Jean always refused, but they just camped on the grass verge in front of the house instead. Little shits. How annoying would that be? I'd be like, fuck off. Yeah. Miners on their way to work early in the morning would stop in front of the house and listen at the bangs and thuds that came from inside. Fred was becoming quite the celebrity. I bet he was loving it, was Fred. Yeah, no doubt. Jean bumped into a friend who was actually Vic's sister, so the sister of her brother-in-law. Okay. Uh-huh. And who apparently had some psychic abilities. Of course. This pops up quite a lot over this series of people having abilities, and there is kind of theories that because it was such a haunted ground, because Fred isn't the only entity haunting a house in this council estate. No. That it's it's actually attracting that type of person. I don't know whether it's conscious or unconsciously, but you know, it is. There are psychics that live there, and 
and such ghost hunters. Look, Mr. What was it last last week? Was it Mr. O'Donnell? He was a yeah. ghost hunter, wasn't he? He lived there. Anyway, Jean bumps into this friend, this psychic called Renee Holden. After Renee said that she wasn't afraid of ghosts, Jean asked her if she'd like to come and have a look around the house, and she accepted and came to the Pritchards the next day. When she arrived, Jean said, Come and look at this. She showed Renee the three bedrooms completely in disarray, blankets thrown all over the place, drawers open with their contents chucked all over the floor. Jean said she'd cleaned the bedrooms just half an hour earlier. I'm going to use that excuse. <laughs> I'm be like, oh, the house is so clean, but I like poltergeist. Just, it's just so cranky today. Yep. It's a good one. Mm, it might work. I'll test it out. I'll let you know. Okay. But that was all Fred would do for the rest of the evening. He behaved and nothing more happened. So Jean asked Renee if she would like to come back for dinner another day, which she did. Sarah, the grandma, was staying with them that weekend, but she'd been feeling unwell and stayed in her room upstairs, and Joe was at the pub with his mates. So Jean made a light meal of chicken sandwiches. She put everything on a tray to take it into the lounge. As they all sat down, Philip and Diane were there as well. The lights went off. It's here, said Jean. Oh, I know, said Renee. I can feel it. The room grew cold and then the sound of objects flying through the air could be heard, along with a weird tapping on the window. When the lights turned themselves back on again, they all looked at the mess. Knickknacks and cushions were spread all over the room, and when they looked at the food, although the tray was still there and the plate, the sandwiches had vanished. Jean started looking around for them and noticed a few on the floor behind the TV. She picked one up and couldn't believe what she was seeing. One of the sandwiches had a huge bite taken out of it. It's been eaten, she said in astonishment. And look at the teeth marks. Whatever had taken a bite had humongous teeth. That's gross. Yeah. Another evening, Renee had been invited to the local working men's club for a ladies' night. She'd had her hair done for the occasion. Afterwards, she went back to their house for a coffee, and of course, the lights went out. Things started flying all over the room, the noise was unbearably loud. As this is all going on... (laughs) Oh, God. It's not funny, but this makes me laugh. As this is all going on, Renee felt her entire head crawling as if it was covered in ants, (laughs) and then she got hit in the face with a cushion. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why the image of Renee getting hit in the face with a cushion makes me laugh, but it does. Pillow fights are fun. Yeah, but less fun when it's with a poltergeist, but anyway. Face full of ants. Joe went to turn the main switch on again, and they saw the state of the room. Chairs had been tipped over, ornaments were all over the floor, pictures had come off the wall, it looked like a war zone. It was then that Renee pointed out that the children who had both been complaining about feeling off felt a lot worse after each poltergeist manifestation. She suspected that Fred was feeding off their energy from their solar plexus. Do you know what a solar plexus is? No, please explain. I think it's a chakra. You know what a chakra is? Yes. So the solar plexus, I think, is a rather important chakra. Okay. Okay. She also wondered if it was getting some of its energy from the underground water source. Do you guys remember the well and the water supply it gave to the old castle? Indeed, I do. Yeah. 
So she went on to suggest that they try and communicate with it to see if they could understand what it wanted or why it was there. They agreed and all tried communicating. They joined hands in the hallway and as they did so, a strange noise like rushing wind appeared. And then every object from upstairs, covers, sheets, decorative objects, anything that moved came toppling over the top banister downstairs. It appeared Fred did not want to communicate at all. Or if he did, I'm pretty sure that was poltergeist for fuck off. Yeah. (laughs) But what does he want, though? Because he's like, I hate everything and I'm going to throw everything around for attention. And then it's like, let's speak. I know I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. I don't know. Basically. So dramatic. I'm going to just throw some more shit. Dramatic Fred. Yeah, he's just a sport brat, isn't he? Yeah. So this brings us to my favourite part of the story, purely because it's absolutely horrifying, but also kind of funny. Joe's sister, Maud, decides she is going to come and stay and find out exactly what is going on in the house. Maud. Yeah, Maud. (laughs) She comes across as quite stern and finds all this ghost nonsense quite uncivilised. So you're getting a picture of Maud, yeah. Yeah. She's quite prim and proper. Yeah. She firmly believes that it's Diane and Philip, the children, who are playing pranks on everyone. And she says as much to her brother, Joe. You've no idea what you're talking about, he replied. The kids were both slightly offended, but again, they can't exactly be rude to their Auntie Maud, so they just took it on the chin. They were all sat around in the kitchen. Maud had the closest chair to the kitchen fire. The lights went out. Everyone except Maud knew that something was about to go down. The light from the fire lit up the room just enough for Jean to see what was happening. The fridge door opened and a jug of milk floated out and hovered over Aunt Maud's head. And then it tipped its entire contents over her. Maud jumped up, coughing and spluttering. Jean turned the lights back on at the switch under the stairs. Maud remained adamant that it was the kids doing, and she was furious. Why had the lights gone out? She thought it was so that somebody could play the prank on her. Jean replied that in fact it couldn't have been the kids as they were sat by her and they'd not moved. She understood Maud's anger. After all, she was soaked in milk. So at this point, she removes her hat and coat and looks around for her gloves, but she could only find one. Don't worry, Jean said. It will reappear. Things always do. The family moved into the lounge. The lights went out again. Maud shrieked when a violent banging sound came from the kitchen. The lights were turned on again and all the chairs were upside down. The electric fire had been pulled out of the fireplace and the entire contents of the fridge were now all over the floor. The kids both started laughing as they knew they couldn't possibly be blamed now. Maud became more angry than before. Why did the lights keep going off? Something keeps turning them off, Jean replied. You mean someone, Maud said. Why don't you lock the cupboard? We've tried, Jean said, but it still happens. After this experience, Fred left the family alone for the rest of the evening until bedtime. It took some rearranging of beds to fit everyone in. Diane, Jean and Maud shared one room whilst Philip camped in with his dad. Jean had only just gotten into bed when she saw the bedside table lamp rise up by itself and float out of the room. Then she saw something moving around the door. On closer inspection, this was the four bulbs that had been removed from the electric fire and were now dancing around the door frame, two at the top and two at the bottom. It was then that they saw the hands. <laughs> they were understandably petrified. 
a huge hand appeared above the door, and the other remained at the bottom, about six inches from the floor. After staring at these disembodied hands, they realised that they were wearing Aunt Maud's gloves. Ah. Whatever was... (laughs) Whatever was... That's so weird, isn't it? (laughs) It's very strange. Whatever was wearing them must be huge, as the arm length was over six feet. I don't like that. I don't like things with big arms. (laughs) (laughs) I just imagine them singing, and I don't know why, but you know, Hey, big spender. (laughs) What, like jazz hands? Yeah, and then like... Just wait, because you're not actually far off, so just (laughs) give it a minute. When you keep saying that the lamps are rising, I keep... I had that and I rise up that song in my yeah, head yeah I was singing that in my head too <laughs> funny isn't it right why does he keep seeing things like oh lovely gloves yoink these are mine <laughs> oh. so Aunt Maud a respectable religious lady pointed at the hands and shouted get away you're evil she then picked up a shoe and flung it at the door <laughs> I wasn't liking Maud until the shoe. I got liking her a bit better now. As scared as Jean was, she couldn't resist asking Maud if she still thought it was the kids playing pranks. The hands vanished, but reappeared as they floated into another bedroom. One was beckoning the family to follow. You know, that kind of come here movement. Yeah. That's a creepy thing to do at any point. Come here. Come here. So, come here, followeth me. (laughs) So beckoning the family to follow, but none of them moved as they were far too afraid. The other hand then turned into a fist and began shaking as if it was threatening Aunt Maud, who instantly broke out into song singing Onward Christian Soldiers. As she sang, the gloves began moving as if they were conducting her song. Oh my god, that's a funny little ghost. Blatantly mocking her. <laughs> and then they vanished again. Maud just got trolled and really bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On the one hand, horrible. I mean, just the idea of that is terrifying. But also it's kind of funny. Yeah. Yes. From the outside, I can see the humour. Maud said, you've got the devil in this house. No one really slept after that, but when Maud left in the morning, she said she wouldn't go back in that house even for £20,000, and her gloves were nowhere to be seen. Jean later found the gloves in the bottom of a cupboard and went to return them to her sister-in-law, but she refused to touch them. She grabbed them with a pair of tongs, carried them outside and burnt them. (laughs) I don't know why it's making me laugh. I could just imagine her doing it. I'm really getting Karen energy yeah. from Maud. Yeah, Maud, Maud is a bit of a Karen. But also, if you'd seen possessed gloves taking the piss out of you, would you want them back? <laughs> no, but I can just imagine her doing it. Pursed lips. She's yeah. got a handbag in one hand, yeah. tongs in another. Kind of shuffling her boobs upwards in that kind of movement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then as she burns them, just sort of like goes, huff. Yeah. Yeah, Walked away. Yeah. So after this event, Mr. Nobody got really confident with his tricks and started displaying something called interpenetration of matter. (laughs) What? (laughs) I don't know, but I want to know what it is. 
Tasha's ears perk up. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> penetration of what? What does that mean? Enter penetration of matter. So this is found in very few poltergeist cases. It's where the entity is able to dematerialize a solid object and make it reappear. A bit like when Sally removed her new doll from a wrapped box without opening the box. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're talking about. So it's called interpenetration of matter. Okay. Not as interesting as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> you girls can't just, you just can't say the word penetrate, can you? You just can't. Can't, can't be vaguely sexual in any way without <laughs> me having a little giggle. 12 year old boy, sense of humor. Yeah. Uh. So on this particular evening, the Pritchards were sat in their lounge when an egg floated in the room in front of them and then just dropped and smashed all over the floor, releasing the floral scent that they now associated with Fred. And then another egg did exactly the same thing. After this, Jean rushed to the fridge to check her eggs, and sure enough, two were missing. She gathered up her other eggs and put them in a wooden box that she then sat on, feeling like she had this time beaten the entity. And yet, another egg appeared out of thin air and smashed all over the floor. Jean checked the box, and one egg was missing. This shenanigans happened again and again, until all the eggs were out of the box and laid smashed all over Jean's clean floor. Jean was a typical Yorkshire housewife of the time, meaning she was very home-proud and liked to keep things shipshape. Fred seemed to realise this and went out of his way whenever he could to make a mess. One time, Jean found all her tea and sugar packets had been emptied and all mixed together. Another, around 4am, after being kept awake by all the banging and thumping, Jean got up only to find jam, marmalade and mustard smothered on all the door handles and banisters and coated with toilet paper. She of course cleaned everything up straight away before going back to bed, but it does make you wonder, would Fred have been so mischievous if Jean hadn't cared so much about having a messy house? Vic Kelly, so the brother-in-law, still felt that an exorcism could be the way forward, so he approached his own priest, Father Hudson. He seemed to know a little bit more about pesky spirits than his colleague, Reverend Davy, but he said he wouldn't get permission for much the same reasons as Reverend Davy had said. He did, however, give him an alternative solution. He said if you get holy water and sprinkle it around the house saying some prayers, it would probably be just as good as if a priest did it. Armed with a bottle of holy water, Vic went to the Pritchards. Jean was reluctant because, after all, this could make things worse, but she felt rude after Vic had gone to the trouble, so she agreed to let him try and evict Fred. Once he had sprinkled the water and said his prayers... Jean asked if he had been told how long it would take before the family knew if it had worked or not. Then they both heard an almighty crash coming from above. Never mind, she said, it obviously hasn't. It was then they noticed water trickling down the walls. Fred was no doubt mocking Vic's attempt at getting rid of him. But would this attempted exorcism make things worse like the priest and reverend had predicted? You'll have to wait till next week to find out. So there you go. End of part two. I'm enjoying this. 
Yeah, me too. It's very action, isn't it? Like, start to finish. Smashing. Wearing gloves. Throwing things about. Throwing mattresses on people. Pissing down the walls. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was the holy water that he'd gathered up and was trickling down the walls. I know, I'm joking. I mean, it's Fred. He could have been pissing down the walls. I don't think... This would be more dramatic. Fred does not give a shit. Nah. So, yeah. There you go. I've finished part three and I'm on part four and I think there's going to be maybe a part five. So... I'm excited. Longest one yet. Uh, do you want my song? Yes, please. My little horror song this week. So I'm just going to give you a hint. It's from the 90s. Yeah. Go on. Okay. So if you're not familiar with 90s music, you probably won't get it. I never thought it would end like this. Was it my fault? Did I do something wrong? I wish you would have told me before putting me here. I'm running through every conversation in my head, trying to understand what went wrong. I love you so much and you've done this to me. I did wonder what you were doing when I saw you digging. And now here I am, in this black hole, losing my mind, running out of air. Soon I won't hurt anymore. I'll be at peace, free from pain. I welcome this death, even though I don't understand it. I just take comfort in knowing that this feeling won't last that long. There you go. Oh. Any ideas? No, I'm unbelievably bad at this. <laughs> I, I, it's the first few sentences that I was like, possibly might get it. Uh, anyway, let's wrap this shit up. I hope we have suitably confused you, made you laugh, terrified you, and made you scared of arsenic. Yeah. Yeah, it's a poison to be aware of, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not as easily available in nowadays, though. Is it not in rat poison? Yeah, it's in rat poison, isn't it? Well, I don't recommend putting it in tea, chowder, or any of those yeah, things. Yeah, no, wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. So, you can find us on Facebook under Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. We're also on YouTube. I'm trying to upload the episodes gradually, but it takes quite a long time. It's literally just a podcast, as you would hear it normally but I've just stuck it on YouTube. And Tash, what about our socials? So Instagram, Twitter and TikTok are all the same and they are SCSK underscore podcast. Yeah, if you have any stories, hometown murders or ghost stories or anything else really and you want to write into us, you can write in at chillers.killers.pod at gmail.com. Perfect. I shall see you lovely ladies next week. Indeed you will. In the meantime, stay safe. Don't poison people. And keep it weird. Bye. Bye. Bye.